Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Join me on the pod this week are Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News. Rob is at the Healthcare Distribution Conference. Later in the pod, we'll hear from Newmark's Jeremy Meader, but let's start with Good Week, Bad Week. So, in a week that saw pharmacy numbers in England reach a five-year low and the DH launch a consultation for the umpteenth time on original pack dispensing, there's no shortage of things to talk about. So, Neil, uh, what do you have for us? Have you got a, a good week or a bad week? Well, I've got a uh, not really a good week or a bad week particularly, um, but a story that broke in the last week in the US that caught my eye because of the potential ramifications for pharmacies in, in the UK more specifically independent prescribers as well. Um, the story um, basically was a, a regional pharmacy chain known as uh, called Great uh, Giant Eagle Inc. agreed to settle lawsuits over allegations that it fueled the opioid epidemic in several Ohio communities. Uh, two counties took Giant Eagle and three large companies to trial over this um, over, the, over this issue. Now, the opioid epidemic, as I'm sure we all know, in the US has been absolutely horrendous. According to the U.S. government data, uh, it's it's it caused it basically caused about half a million overdose deaths between 1999 and 2019. Absolutely a, a horrendous situation in, in America, and it, and it's a pretty bad situation in the U.K. as well. Um, now, the Ohio counties of Lake and Trumbull um, brought proceedings against Giant Eagle, Walgreens Boots Alliance, CVS Health Corp, and Walmart. So some pretty big names in American retail and healthcare. Um, now, Giant Eagle agreed to settle during the trial in, in federal court in Cleveland. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, Giant Eagle operate grocery stores and pharmacies in five states, including Ohio. Um, now, we don't know what money was paid out uh, in this settlement, but it is important to say that Giant Eagle uh, denied that it was it was a cause of the opioid e- epidemic. But it did say that it recognized, quote, the severity of the crisis, its impact on the public and the hard work of public officials working to address the harms. Uh, now, this, the Ohio trial, for me, is significant for two reasons. Um, it's the first trial the pharmacy chains have faced in national litigation over the o- opioid epidemic. Um, and secondly, it's significant because the Ohio counties allege that the pharmacies, fa- that fa- the pharmacies, I'm stressed the pharmacies here, failed to prevent excessive amounts of opioids from reaching their local communities, and they failed to identify the red flags, which is how they term it, um, you know, when patients were misusing these drugs. The companies have all denied any wrongdoing. It's important to stress that. Um, now, this is a huge deal in the US right now. You know, pharmaceutical companies, drug distributors, and now, as I said, pharmacies are being held to account for the opioid crisis. Um, I think it's something like 3,300 cases have been brought mainly by state and local governments. Um, this caught my eye uh, in a big way this week. Uh, the Ohio case, I think, could have potential potential consequences here in the UK uh, because it's not inconceivable uh, that we could have a situation here where pharmacies are being held responsible for opioid deaths and and, and, and harm as a, resu- as a result of the uh, epidemic. It's no longer Big Pharma that's having its feet held to the fire here. It's now pharmacy chains and, and who knows somewhere down the line, smaller pharmacies too. So this raises, for me, you know, quite big concerns. Um, 
if pharmacies want read-write access, for, for instance, to, to, to patient records, and we know the sector's been crying out for read-write read, write access for quite a long time, then that will come with, with, with you know, added responsibility and pressures. Um, for instance, you know, if pharmacies fail to spot these red flags on a, on a read-write access record and they don't write into it and they don't flag up these warnings, what are the potential consequences for that, for that pharmacist? Um, it could be a case of be careful what you wish for here. Um, and this could also have huge ramifications, of course, for independent prescribers too, because again, they will need to exercise great caution when prescribing these, these you know, powerful painkillers. So this is, all, this is all happening right across the pond at the moment. Um, but I, I just wonder whether we'll see um, pharmacies and maybe smaller pharmacies, and maybe independents, brought into the firing line over opioid misuse in the coming years. So this, for me, was a, a story that caught my eye. Thanks, Neil. That's that's fascinating, isn't it? So some of America's biggest pharmacy chains um, going on trial this week, accused of what fueling the country's opioid epidemic. My first thought when I was listening to you there is that. Um, uh, you know, the situation is different in the UK, isn't it? The health system is different. Doctors here aren't motivated financially to 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 prescribe like they are in the states. And I think you know there there was a clinical culture in the states of using opioids for for chronic non cancer pain, and that's that's different to here. And and I guess you know, I think there's similar prevalence of pain in the UK as there are in the States, but the doctors definitely write many more prescriptions for opioids out there. And you've got direct advertising of pharmaceuticals to consumers. And so you've got, that's encouraging patients to ask doctors for specific drugs. So I guess there's less supply of opioids uh, in the UK and maybe less of an emphasis on their using treatment, perhaps in light of the US experience. But, you know, you are right, Neil. I mean, it's I think this is this, this does fire a bit of a, a warning shot because, um, like you say, opioid-related deaths are, are rising in the UK, aren't they? And there were some terrible figures, weren't there, recently from from Scotland about opioid-related deaths. So I don't think you know we can guarantee that they won't we won't see similar action in the UK. But the the markets uh, are very different, um, and so I suppose pharmacies liabilities might be different but ooh, this is an interesting one isn't it neil would do you want to come back in on that yeah i think you make some uh, valid points richard i mean um, and the legal yes the legal systems in the us and the uk are, are, are different they work differently um uh, it seems to be much more of a sort of a gung-ho approach to, to you know, legal in, in america it's a complex system where you know states are almost like small countries within within one big country you know what, what might be brought legally might work in one state it might not work in another state here in the uk we have a, a different way of of operating legally so i, I don't know i i would hope that it would from, from, certainly from a, a small pharmacy an independent viewpoint i would hope that that added pressure doesn't loom over over those over those guys because you know it's not something they want to have to deal with um you know they work hard enough it's a lot of pressure in the job as it is and mistakes can happen and and um you know, the last thing you want are lawsuits but i i just think that it's something that pharmacies in the uk need to be just aware of keep an eye on what's going on over over in america at the moment because you know as you say quite rightly richard you know the, the opioid uh, a crisis here is 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 a crisis. You know, let's just be frank about it. You know, people are suffering uh, um, as a result of the epi- uh, opioid epidemic, and I just think they need to keep an eye on what's going on because I, it's not inconceivable 
we could have a situation here where you know things could end up, could end up could end up in court, and it won't just be big pharma that's 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 um, having its feet held to the fire. So I just want to keep an eye on it. I think. Yeah, no, it's re- really really good argument there, Neil. Um, and and I did agree with the point you you made about read write access. I mean, it, read write access is is incredibly important, I think, for for the development of of pharmacy going forward. But that will come with you know, added responsibilities and liabilities as well. So it is this is definitely something for, for pharmacists in the in the UK to think about. Um, that really interesting. Thank you. Thanks for that, Neil. Um, all right, then, Arthur, let's go to you next. Good week or bad week? Uh, good week for the Aurelius Group. Um, they describe themselves as a pan-European uh, asset management group specialising in carve-outs, and they've done the biggest carve-out in, in their history at the beginning of this week. They bought um, McKesson's UK business. So that's you know, Lloyd's Pharmacy, AAH, Lloyd's Online Doctor, Lloyd's Direct, um, formerly Echo. Um, so, and they've gotten, I think most people would agree, quite a good deal for it. It's the biggest deal in their history, possibly the smallest deal in McKesson's history. McKesson paid, um, I think, five around $5 billion for this Lysio business um, in the uh, the middle of the last decade and have sold it on for just under a tenth of that um 477 million so um so yeah i i i think the the consensus is that aurelius got um got quite quite a good deal and someone's done some sums that um this equates to uh three hundred thousand per lloyd's branch and that's with the rest of the rest of the business thrown in for free so um so i I think some questions raised there about sort of you know what uh, about the nature of the deal and how much debt was involved and and then sort of what aurelius's plans for 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 the business are i mean um mckesson has tried to make uh, I mean, it's sort of common knowledge that, that Lloyd's has, has, has struggled in recent years, especially since um, the government funding cuts were imposed. Um, and and McKesson, as the parent company, um, sought to make a lot of efficiencies um, with, I think the most pr- high profile was was was, it was over 200 stores were, were, either, were either sold or shut. So there's sort of question marks now around... Um, what Aurelius's plans for um for, for the company might be, I mean they 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 say I mean as as you would expect they're quite positive in their their statements so they're pleased with this deal they've made they say the 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 UK business is in a strong financial position and um, with long standing customer relationships and new opportunities um and they they cite the importance of digital healthcare which which has been um it should be said um uh. Lloyd's or, or McKesson has done very well there in recent years. Um, Echo formerly and and now um, Lloyd's Direct ha- is has gone from during the pandemic has gone from nowhere to being the second biggest uh, online repeat prescriptions uh, company in the UK and you know could 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 eclipse pharmacy to you like who knows let's see so so that so that would obviously have been um, attractive for Aurelius. Um, but with the Lloyd's Pharmacy estate, there are sort of long-running issues, and that some 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 of them become quite acute recently in this in this year with them uh, having to with due due to um, they say staffing issues having to 
reduce hours or 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 um, have these sort of temporary closures, which have been quite controversial. And there's a big announcement this week um, that to that that they are going to reduce opening hours at the hundred hour Sainsbury's pharmacies. Um, so they're going to. But by, by about a fifth, I think it works out at about eight, 80 hours per week rather than 100. Um, and this has obviously sort of been discussed with the NHS prior to making the decision that they, they, they've assured me. But um, but still, it's sort of, it, it shows that, you know, the, Lloyd's is still having to make quite uh, drastic efficiencies. Um, so you kind of... I don't know. I mean, ho- hope for the best, but you wonder what what the, what the next few years will be like under under the new ownership. That is interesting, isn't it? So, four seven four hundred seventy seven million, didn't you said? Didn't you, Arthur? That sounds like it's it, they've got it on the cheap to me. Um, and I have no idea what a car vote company is either. But um, yeah, with all those businesses thrown in for that, it seems a a, a very good deal for Aurelius. I suppose the going forward now i think what what we want what the sector wants and what employees want for lloyd's pharmacy is it's just a bit more certainty about the 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 future of the business isn't it like you say arthur they've they've endured uh, lloyd's has endured a tough time since the funding cuts and um uh, i think employees could do with more certainty and hopefully there'll be some um some fresh investment as well to to move the business forward um neil what do you think of this uh, this business deal yeah, well, I think there's. I mean, Arthur touched on on the uh, on the branches, Lloyd's, and and some of the problems that reportedly they've 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 uh, endured. But uh, for me, there's there's really two questions that need to be answered, and one of those is, you know, what will Aurelius do with those branches? I mean, are they going to make cutbacks? Are they going to close more branches? I mean, we know we've all heard about Lloyd's pharmacy branches closing um, four years ago. Uh, are there going to be more closures? We don't. We don't know the answer to that. We don't know what the what Aurelius's intentions really are. Um, one would hope that um, Aurelius will um, actually put money in and, and improve these branches and, and, and make them uh, fit for purpose. And the other question for me really is, you know, as part of this package, because uh, there's all kinds of uh, segments of the of the business that that have transferred over to Aurelius. You know, AAH for me is caught my eye because again, you know, that's again consequences and ramifications for the delivery of medicines you know you know what will ah be, be doing in terms of uh, delivering medicines to pharmacies the branches on time and pharmacies on time because that's been a big problem you know um delivery of medicines shortages or unavailability of product all these things have been exacerbated particularly during the pandemic um what will that, what kind of uh, how will this improve ah and and uh, and and that particular part of the business so th- those are the two things that, that I think questions need to be answered. Yes, cha- uh, challenges ahead, certainly for, for the new owners of uh, Lloyd's Pharmacy and AAH and, and all the other businesses in that group. All right, my turn next. Um, I'm going to go, well, I could have gone for good week for uh, for Pfizer. Um, sales of its COVID vaccine going to hit something like $36 billion this year. So um, nice little learner for Pfizer there. But I'm going to go for uh, an open goal of a, of a good week. Pharmacies in England giving over 3 million flu jobs in eight weeks. I mean, come on, 3 million. That's a tremendous effort. And uh, at, at a time when the NHS is under so much pressure, I'm at the risk of hyperbole, um, but these are potentially life-saving interventions and the sector's on track for 4 million flu jobs this season. 
Um, I think, importantly for me, this this gives the lie once and for all. It it obliterates the lie once and for all that pharmacies can't roll out services at pace and scale. Of course they are, and they're doing it right now, and it's a fantastic effort with a lot more to come. Brilliant, brilliant stuff from the sector over flu jobs. Um, that's my good week. Moving on to our interview slot now, and a couple of weeks ago after the pharmacy show, I caught up with Jeremy Meader, Managing Director of Newmark. Jeremy has been head of the independent symbol group since 2018, when he moved across from parent company Phoenix, where he was sales director. And prior to this, he'd held senior commercial roles with Alliance Healthcare and GlaxoSmithKline Consumer Healthcare. I've known Jeremy going right back to his GSK days. He's one of the sector's more thoughtful, considered leaders, but he's not afraid to call things out either, and has been one of the more vociferous critics of the government's approach to community pharmacy in England, especially over funding. We were talking on Budget Day, where Rishi Sunak had just poured billions into the NHS and our underperforming GP service, but nothing for pharmacy. So I asked Jeremy... Was he surprised? Sadly, Richard, I'm not surprised. I think uh, if we look back in recent history, pharmacy very much feels to have been the poor relation when it comes to uh, when it comes to healthcare, and I do struggle with why that would be the case, given what a fabulous job the sector has done over the past 18 months coping with COVID. Pharmacy has been the place that's kept the doors open. It's been the primary point of contact for a lot of people who've struggled to get to see a GP. We've all seen the figures on that. And I get that, you know, GPs, there's a shortage of GPs as well. But pharmacy really has borne the brunt in many ways of the challenges. And it's absolutely been there throughout. You know, we've, we've heard numerous stories of pharmacists and their teams going above and beyond. So there really is fundamentally, I think, a frustration at grassroots level and certainly amongst Newmark members that there's not increased funding for the sector when it's very clear the sector has got fantastic capability but it just just doesn't seem to be recognized by government in england and it's it's such a contrast when i uh, when i look to scotland and when i chat to harry mcquillan you know, they have really got such a great setup in scotland pharmacy is at the heart of uh, of healthcare very much has its seat at the table and i just fear in england we've got a very different situation Yes, a very different situation, isn't it, in in Wales and and, and Scotland? And we we discussed some of the, those issues, didn't we, with the uh, the webcast we did with with you and Newmark and P three Pharmacy o- over the over the last year. But um, and you have expressed your own frustration and, and anger over pharmacy's financial situation many times. Um, I think most recently, as you said, over the so called winter rescue package for GPs, which which does stick in the craw a bit. How much of a struggle is it on the ground or for Newmark members right now? I think it really is a struggle, Richard. I think the the greatest piece of feedback we get from members is just they feel literally at the limit of what they can do at the moment. Um, And literally, I think for members, the, the thing they need more is capacity. They need a little bit of time back to be able to take stock on their businesses uh, and critically, to give their give their staff a bit of respite. It's it's been so full on for the last eighteen months. Many of our members have uh, have forgone holidays and certainly worked hours way above and beyond. So I really do feel for the sector that there is a there is a fundamental issue there, and that frustration I think only builds when we see GPs being offered allegedly another two hundred and fifty million. And the reality is that two hundred and fifty million is not even going to get back to the same number of face-to-face appointments as we had pre-pandemic. 
So it, it does seem really odd that uh, NHS in England uh, and the Department of Health just do not appreciate or do not seem to value what pharmacy has actually delivered, but I think as importantly, what it's capable of delivering in the future. And that really is healthcare at the heart of the local community that's easy to access. And yet, even with COVID boosters at the moment, I'm still, whilst it's good to see 1,300 pharmacies uh, involved, that's really only 10% or just over 10% of pharmacies in England. You do think there is much greater capability there. And certainly I know of many pharmacies who've applied uh, to run uh, COVID boosters, but actually not heard back. And that, again, I think is, uh, it is a sense of frustration. My thanks to Jeremy Meader there. We'll release the full interview next week as part of our In Conversation With podcast series. It'll be on our website, pharmacymagazine.co.uk, as well as available from your usual podcast provider. It's well worth looking out for. Jeremy has strong views on a whole host of issues affecting the sector, not least automation and hub and spoke, something that's right at the top of the agenda for independence at the moment. But we'll wrap it up there for another week. My thanks again to Jeremy and to Neil and Arthur for earlier. We'll be back again next week, but for now, thanks very much for listening.